I need to talk to you. I want to tell you something. Uh, you don't have to worry about me, because I'm happy. I'm really happy. I mean, I think that I would be happier if you could see the real me, because I'm... Sorry, what'd you say? I'm... I'm sorry, Dad. I'm still not getting it. I am gay. Thanks for the news flash, Sid. Oh. <laughs> Walt, I, um, I've always been gay, and I'm, I'm really sorry that I kept it from you, but I like ice dancing and musical theater and making love to men. I suppose that last one's the main takeaway. Wow. My dad is gay. I have a gay dad. That explains a lot. This is awesome. I'm happy for you, Pop. Oh, thank God. I'm so glad. I, oh, I'm so relieved. I should have done this years ago. But I must say, I was hoping for a little dramatics, some tears, or a slow clap. <laughs> well, it's a little late for that, Walter. I'm glad you finally told me. I love you, Dad. Oh, I love you, son. Rest in peace, Leslie Jordan. You will be missed. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train. Episode 318, submission number 427, Erie, Indiana. Harry, Indiana, aired on the NBC television network from September 15, 1991 to April 12, 1992 for 19 episodes. My name is Marshall Teller. Not long ago, I was living in New Jersey, just across the river from New York City. It was crowded, polluted, and full of crime. I loved it. But my parents wanted a better life for my sister and me. So we moved to a place so wholesome so squeaky clean you could only find it on TV. Unfortunately, nothing could be further from the truth. Sure, my new hometown looks normal enough, but look again. What's wrong with this picture? The American dream come true, right? Wrong. Nobody believes me, but this is the center of weirdness for the entire planet. Thank you, little paper boy. Eerie Indiana. John Cosgrove and Terry Dunmuir, you don't necessarily think of a horror, mystery, science fiction, supernatural, family dramedy. But, believe it or not, 
they were the producers of this show. They would actually be known for another show on NBC that follows a similar premise to this show. A show that recently dropped a new season on Netflix. A show that we covered on this podcast once upon a time. It's a favorite of ours. Unsolved Mysteries. Yes, Unsolved Mysteries. Classic on NBC. But they did produce this show, which was actually created by Jose Rivera and Carl Schaefer. Carl Schaefer, of course, known for such classics as The Dead Zone, The Ghost Whisperer, and something called TV 101. I believe that centered around a classroom learning the art of television. And Jose Rivera, who also created this series, became the first Puerto Rican to be nominated for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for the film The Motorcycle Diaries, based on Che Guevara's diary about a motorcycle trip which he and Alberto Granado had. So, on paper, these two people, one a Puerto Rican playwright, and the other who kind of sort of dabbles in the uh, speculative, not much in common on paper. But together, they would make a bit of a lasting impact with their characters, centered around a town in Indiana that is truly unlike any town in Indiana or anywhere in the United States or anywhere in the world. Now, Erie, Indiana, population 16,661, was the center of weirdness in the universe. How else can we explain it? Omri Katz, who is the uh, main protagonist of the series, and with the help of his best friend Simon Holmes, they managed to unravel the many mysteries that plague Erie, Indiana. And the two of them are actually two of perhaps the most normal people you will ever meet. Probably ever. Omri Katz, who played Marshall, he was known as primarily a that guy from that thing, but he did have one lasting recurring role as Tony Hemingway on the 1993 short-lived series, The John Larroquette Show, which was actually his uh, first show after Night Court got canceled. John Larroquette. But hold on, you're burying the lead. Because he was in Hocus Pocus! He was in Hocus Pocus. I totally forgot about that. Yes! How could you forget he was in Hocus Pocus? I was concentrated on the witches, thank you very much. But yeah, he is a fan of the New York Giants. He grew up in New Jersey, and he constantly compares his new hometown, Erie, Indiana, to where he grew up in New Jersey, which is, in his mind, the epitome of normal. I can't even begin to unpack that statement. Nothing about New Jersey's normal. Not even the most normal part of New Jersey is normal. No. I've been in North Jersey. I've been in South Jersey. I couldn't find a single normal thing about either. He's joined by Simon Holmes, a nine-year-old best friend, 
who spends most of his free time hanging out with Marshall. He was a lonely child, and most of his peers in Erie shunned him. He also believes something's weird and eerie, and he's out to prove what it is. He's played by Justin Shankaro, who would be, if I'm not mistaken, one of the three kids that are central to the plot of the uh, hit CBS series Picket Fences. Yes, right. He was in Picket Fences. Mm-hmm. He also performed some additional voices in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I know you're into that thing, Greg. Yeah, well, we did an episode about that on another podcast. And he also voiced Player in 11 episodes, mostly the season one episodes, of Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego? The animated series. Yes, the animated series. With Jennifer Hale and Scott Menville. And Rita Moreno as Carmen Sandiego. Rounding out the cast as Marshall's mom is Mary Margaret Humes. She plays Marilyn, who pretty much leaves the two kids to their own devices. She operates her own party planning business at the Erie Mall, and she's not an organized person at all. So how does that happen? No, it's terrible. But you know who is organized? Her husband. Her husband, Edgar, played by Francis Guinan. He works at Things Incorporated, which is a product testing company. And according to Marshall, it was his idea to leave New Jersey and move to Erie. What a stupid idea. Yeah, I'm going to leave New Jersey and we go to this random town in Indiana. Not even on the map, apparently. How did he find it if it's not on the map? Who knows? This is Erie, Indiana. Nothing makes sense. By the way, Edgar Teller, fun fact, is a nod to American nuclear physicist Edward Teller. Francis Guinan has made a lot of appearances on a lot of TV shows of this genre, like Star Trek Voyager, Sliders, Without a Trace, Star Trek Enterprise, Crossing Jordan to Practice, CSI, CSI Miami, CSI New York, Frasier, Mike and Molly, and Constantine. The movie, not the TV show. As for Mary Margaret Humes, she's primarily known as a that lady from that TV movie. Her last known role was as Alice in Two Tickets to Paradise. I got two tickets to paradise. You think uh, Eddie Money did the soundtrack for that movie? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> but yeah, that's the family. That's his friends. And then there are two more characters. Cindy Marie Priscilla Teller, Marshall's older sister, who is practicing for a driver's license, and much like Madison before her on She-Hulk, don't worry, we'll get to that, Cindy spells her name rather oddly. It's an S, not a C, and there is an I, but it's not where you think it is. It's not where you think... Cindy Teller was played by Julie Condra, who is not known for much. I mean, her IMDb page is really, really scant. I mean, her most notable role was as 
young Pat Nixon in 1995's Nixon. Oh, Pat Nixon in 1995's Nixon. Well, it wasn't quite the Nixon on the Dave McCarvey show where there were like five different Nixons. Remember that? I do remember that, actually. And a guy in a Nixon mask for some reason. Yep. But she did star in 59 episodes as Emily DiNapoli on Santa Barbara. So she is a veteran of your stories. And then playing the role of Dash X, who is, after episode 13, a character shrouded in mystery who claims that he woke up in Weirdsville without any knowledge of how he got there or his parents, hometown, past, or real name, is Jason Marsden, who you would remember as Rich Hawkey from the final seasons of Step by Step. By the way, he too was in Hocus Pocus. He was? Yeah, he played the voice of Thackeray Binks. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, but... He had another role in the Disney universe. Several roles, but you know what the big one was. If you're a child of a certain age growing up in this period. Let me guess. Gummy bears? No. Oh. He played Max Goof in a Goofy movie. Oh, that's right. He was the voice of Max Goof on a Goofy movie. (laughs) And he was really, really good at it. And you know what? Second best soundtrack for an animated feature. Yes, second best soundtrack. Very good soundtrack in a a Goofy movie. Yes, very good. Tevin Campbell's Eye to Eye is a banger, but it's no Space Jam. It just isn't. No. Now, we do have some recurring cast members in the show. Playing Mr. Radford, who runs the World of Stuff, which is, I guess, what did you say, Chico? It's kind of like this show's version of the Max, kind of. Yeah, somewhat, sort of. It's the central hub, the hangout at Erie, Indiana, I guess you could say. Yeah. So, playing Mr. Radford at first. We won't say who plays the other Mr. Radford, but we'll get to that. But playing the first Mr. Radford is Archie Han. Yes, Archie Han, best known for his role as teacher in song number two in 2006's John Tucker Must Die. Yes, and literally nothing else. And literally nothing else. Well, that's not true. He's been on a lot of things. He was in 18 episodes of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Five episodes of The Life and Times of Eddie Roberts, whatever that is, and one episode of Notable Entry that we are going to cover sometime in March, Madam's Place. That's right, Mike. This better be good, Madam's Place. I'm just saying. Don't threaten me. (laughs) It's going to be better than You Don't Know Jack. It's going to be better than the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show. That's all I think you're expecting, right? Yeah. That's all. You know what? That's all we were expecting, and that's all we ask. Okay. And that's all you're going to get. Yeah. 
But okay, playing Sergeant Knight on this show. And another example of this isn't tight casting at all. Harry Ghost, who had just been coming off playing Deputy Andy Brennan on one of my favorite shows, Twin Peaks. But you know what I don't love Twin Peaks as much as, guys? Ooh, ooh, me, 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 me. Chico, me, what, me. Is, what do I not love Twin Peaks as much as? You love Twin Peaks, but it's only second to Wings. That's right. Because as we revealed, oh, can you believe this? It's been 18 episodes since for the first time ever I mentioned that I love Wings. Yeah, it made Tony Shalhoub's career. It did. I understand. Yes. Greg, thank you very much for that closure because we did just get a review of the podcast. Uh, I believe it was on Apple Podcasts, correct? Yes. And the person that reviewed actually wanted clarification about that. They wanted to know, you know why does Greg love wings and whose career did it make? There's all your answers. And I think just for that... I think everybody listening should go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review because we reveal everything. Yep. Five stars only. Everything. 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 Five stars only because positive vibes only. Yes. But, oh, guys, guys. Oh, no. Playing the mayor. The mayor of Erie, Indiana. The mayor of Indiana. Yes. Future Hall of Famer. Saying it right now. Future Hall of Famer. Winston Chisel, what a name! Mayor Winston Chisel. Chico, say it. Greg Itson, noted few contestants in the biggest face heel turn ever. He played that bastard Charles Logan on Twenty Four. No, no, no. He was never a face. He was always a wimp. He's at first he's portrayed as a wimp. But then he's revealed to be like the mastermind behind all the evil on that show. Does that include that guy's knee? That guy's knee? From Few? Uh, from Few! Greg, do you I mean, not follow this podcast? We literally had a whole episode about this! I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about something on 24! I was getting there! No, well, no, seriously, guys. He took out a guy's knee. Uh, the guy almost ended up like this. Oh, no. Oh, my no. Don't show it. No, don't, don't. I don't need to see that. I don't need Jack, to see that. Jack, no, no, no. I don't need to see well, that. Now, 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 hold on, hold on. I think somebody needs to explain what just happened because, yeah. You put up your, your metal leg up on the thing. Yeah, for our first-time listeners... Mike has a prosthetic leg. Not important how he got it. We're glad he's here, but he has a prosthetic leg. Yes. Yeah, there's a reason why I wasn't in episodes 101 through 110. No, 109. That's why. No, 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 it was 110. No, I know you were in 110 because it was making it. Oh, I was there. Maybe I was still under like medication or something. But no, it's just every time you make this reference to uh, say by the bell uh, wedding in Hawaii, I'm like, okay, I'll just take their word for it because I, I was still in the hospital at that time. It was say by the bell Hawaiian style. We're not going to do uh, whatever. They were in we're, Hawaii. That's all. Yeah, that we're not going to do wedding in Las Vegas until later. 
Yeah. I didn't say wedding in Vegas. I said wedding in, in Hawaii, <laughs> but whatever. Look, all whatever. You, look, all you need to know is Zach Morris was being a creep to Rena Sofer. And for some reason, the Hawaiians thought Screech was a god. And for some reason, like, people got fooled with Mr. Belding wearing a wig for some reason. Because it's saved by the bell. Ha 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 ha. And because this is saved by the bell, we have to say... Zach Morris is trash. But hold on. Playing a recurring role as an anchor man, guys. Doug Llewellyn! <laughs> hey, didn't we just talk about him on the last episode? Yes, we did. No, no, we talked... No, 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 no. We talked about Kevin Nealon as Doug Llewellyn. Ah, oh, gotcha. What needs to be said besides Doug Llewellyn? That's it. What'd you think of the judge's decision? But, oh, playing Lodgepool. Another guy we've mentioned many times on this podcast. Henry Gibson. Yes, that Henry Gibson. Yeah, from Rowan and Martin's Laughing. All right, one more. If you loved Dominic in Kindergarten Cop, that little precocious little scamp, he was played by twins, Christian Cousins and Joseph Cousins. Those two actors play one more character. Harley Schwarzenegger Holmes. That is his Christian name. That is his given Christian name. Harley Schwarzenegger. (laughs) For some reason, Simon's parents were like, let's give your brother the middle name of Schwarzenegger. Because I don't know what would have been like the big movie. And maybe they saw like Predator or Commando or something. And they thought, you know what? Arnold has such a great last name. Let's give him the middle name of our kid. No, I'm thinking to myself, Harley Schwarzenegger. They obviously rented the Terminator on VHS. Uh, Guys, I think you're way overthinking this. Because Kindergarten Cop was like 1990. So they're clearly watching Kindergarten Cop when they came up with that name. Don't overthink it. Occam's Razor. He's right. He's right. Okay. Well, there's nothing left to do, but let's go over some episodes. Alrighty. Uh, first episode is titled Foreverware. Marshall and his family are welcomed to their new home by Betty Wilson, who encourages Marshall's mom to buy Foreverware a special type of plastic container guaranteed to keep anything fresh forever. Okay, Chico, do you want to explain the twist in this episode with the mom and and her kids? And when they say it keeps anything fresh, they really do mean anything, including Mrs. Wilson's twin sons, who have been sealed in giant foreverware boxes every night for 30 years to prevent them from aging. What's the twist? That's the twist, Chico! That's the weird twist. No, you know, there's got to be pictures of the kids hanging uh, somewhere in the house that are aging. Dorian Gray. I was just about to say, are we talking about a Dorian Gray sort of situation? Is this a little too uh, high class for this podcast? No, nothing is too high class for this podcast, Mike. Nothing's too low class either, but yeah. Anyway, playing the role of Betty Wilson, Luann Gideon, who 
kids of a certain age would recognize from two shows. One as Danielle Atron on The Secret World of Alex Mack. And two as Becky Belding. Becky Belding! Mr. Belding's wife in that one episode of Saved by the Bell when Zack and Tori were trapped in the elevator. Yep. The very same. Oh, what a great episode. And, Mike, you're not going to believe this, but when Zack and Tori deliver Mrs. Belding's baby, do you know what Mr. and Mrs. Belding decide to name the baby? Harley Schwarzenegger. No. I think I've heard this, but please fill in the gaps. They named the baby Zack. So Mr. Belding's kid is named Zack Belding. Zack Belding is trash. <laughs> Sadly, Luann Gideon is no longer with us. She died in 2014 at the young age of 58. Oh. Episode 2. The Retainer. When Steve gets a new retainer, it somehow allows him to hear the thoughts of dogs. But it turns out that man's best friend isn't so friendly after all. Marshall hooks up a tape recorder to Steve's retainer and, along with Simon, they try to figure out what the dogs are plotting. Ruh-roh! 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 Uh-oh. I'm sorry for invoking you, Susan. <laughs> by, the, by the way, when Marshall, Simon, and Steve arrive to investigate the situation at the dog pound, they sneak past a van marked Erie, Indiana Canine Arrest Team with the words arranged to highlight the acronym CAT. Okay, but we do have some names in this episode. Playing Beepy is a French poodle named Darla, but playing her voice, Lori Hensler. That's right, from Give Me a Break. But okay, who plays the doctor in this episode, Chico? The Dr. Yukon Dr. Yukonuba is his <laughs> name. <laughs> Dr. Yukonuba. That doesn't sound familiar. It totally does go with it. Vincent Chiavelli, who played Dr. Kaufman on Tomorrow Never Dies, Mr. Vargas in Fast Times in Ridgemont High, and John O'Connor in the cinematic masterpiece. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the 25th Dimension. I wonder if a certain dog food company got paid for letting them use that name. Just saying. Just saying. By the way, it was across the 8th Dimension, not the 25th. My mistake. I think you're confusing your centuries and your dimensions there. Eh, it happens. How many dimensions are there? No. Apparently 25. You just said that. Okay, episode three, ATM with a heart of gold. Oh, I got so many things to say about this episode. Marshall's dad invents Mr. Wilson, a new ATM with artificial intelligence to give it a friendly face. So friendly, in fact, that when Simon stops to chat with Mr. Wilson, the machine starts giving him money, despite him not even having a bank account, which throws the whole of Erie into bankruptcy. While Simon enjoys the newfound popularity that the money buys him, it's up to Marshall to convince him to give the money back. 
Yeah, Mr. Wilson, the ATM, is trying to convince Simon he's his friend. No, Simon, the ATM is not your friend. It is not your friend. But when he gets all the money, Simon, he gets, like, these new shoes that make him jump super high. Yes, because when you have money as a kid, you get new kicks. And because this is Erie, Indiana, those kicks have special abilities attached to them. You know what I would do if I was Simon, if I was a kid, and Mike, you're going to love this. I'd waste it on all the sets of NFL Pro Set that I could find. Complete all the... Why? NFL... Because it's 1991! NFL Pro Set's like the coolest thing at this time. But it doesn't hold its value, just saying. Yeah, that's exactly the point. And as we've established many times on this podcast... I hate money. Well, th- that we know, yes. I was just about to say, uh, yeah, <laughs> there have been times on this podcast where we have to look at you and say, how much do you even make, man? And you answer the same answer. Enough. But okay, we have the first appearance of Archie Hahn as Mr. Radford. We have the first appearance of Gregory Itson as the mayor. We have our first appearance of Harry Ghost as Sergeant Knight. But okay, as a guest star in this episode, Chico, playing the role of Eddie. Scott Winger. That's right. Steve Hale from Full House. That's right. He became a foot doctor. Yeah, in uh, Fuller House, he became a foot doctor. And he and DJ finally made it official. It took him long enough. Yeah, it took so many years, but thankfully... Yeah. And one more credit that Scott Weinger did. He was the title role in the TV cartoon series Aladdin. He was Aladdin. Yeah, I think he was the voice of Aladdin in the movie, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Not the singing voice, the speaking voice. The speaking Brad voice Kane, of Aladdin. Brad Kane was the singing voice. Yes, we all know that. Mm-hmm. And... Another name in this episode playing the role of Nicholas was Gabriel Damon, who played the voice of Nemo in Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland, if you remember that. He was also Spot in Newsies and Todd in two episodes of Baywatch. Oh, Baywatch. But he was also Lyle in two episodes of Punky Brewster. And, oh... We mentioned Call to Glory in the Street Hawk episode. He was in the Call to Glory as R.H. Sarnak. Oh, good. So he shared probably screen time with Keenan Wynn. That's terrific. Yes. And yes, he is the reason that Rex Smith got canceled. Damn it! Okay, episode four, The Losers. When Marshall's dad loses his briefcase containing his latest invention, it could cost him more than just his job, since the briefcase was a gift from his wife. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So Marshall and Simon need to find out where the lost things go in order to get the briefcase back. Yep. Oh, by the way, did I mention that several episodes of this show were directed by Joe Dante? No. Well, actually, you just did. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Dante at this time, he would have been just coming off a roll of hits after hits with Gremlins, Explorers, 
Inner Space, Gremlins 2, the new batch, would have come out a year earlier. And, um, yeah, playing uh, the role of Al in this episode is one of uh, Joe Dante's regulars, Dick Miller. Yep, he would work, if I'm not mistaken, alongside Mr. Lodgepool, who makes the uh, first appearance of this episode. Yep, so Henry Gibson making his first appearance in this episode. Yep, and by the way, Mr. Lodgepool likes to put lost labels on things, and one of the things he puts a lost label on is a pod from Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is also seen in Grumblins 2, also directed by Joe Dante. Oh, but episode five. <laughs> and this is funny considering this aired on a Sunday night on NBC and what was probably opposite it. Probably, yes. Scariest home videos. It's Halloween. Shocker. And Marshall and Simon are stuck at home babysitting Simon's younger brother, Harley. Harley Schwarzenegger Holmes. But the night isn't as boring as they expected. When they leave, Harley watching a monster movie, he somehow gets zapped into the TV. And while Harley's trapped in the TV, the mummy from the movie is running wild in the house! And the boys need to find a way to switch them back again before Marshall's parents get home! Uh-oh! Uh-oh. Talk about your adventures in babysitting, am I right? Now, Craig, didn't we mention last week about... People uh, getting into TV shows or movies. In the movies, uh, it happened one she, episode. Yeah, and she Wolf of London last week. Right. And I told you it's happened in the past. There's your proof. And obviously it'd be done in much better effect in Last Action Hero. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, there is a name I want to mention. Playing a little girl in this episode is Taylor Fry. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about her earlier this year because she played the kid of the neighbors on Get a Life. Robin Riker and Sam Robard's kid. And also one of the uh, three kids that Kirk Cameron has to take care of in Kirk. Kirk. That's the name of the TV show. Kirk. Kirk. <laughs> they couldn't come up with a better name. There's just Kirk. Eh. Kirk. It's like they tried for like days and days. What can we come? You know, let's just call it Kirk. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one gets filed under an attempt was made. Okay. By the way, we have another interesting name of note here, playing the role of Sir Boris von Orloff, a man by the name of Tony J, who is a that voice from that thing. He played the role of Virgil on. Mighty Max, which also featured as a character named Norman Richard Maul. I only say this because we love Richard Maul around here. Sadly, no longer with us. Episode 6, Just Say No Fun. When Marshall and Simon get into trouble at school, they're surprised to find that instead of detention... They get sent to have an eye test. But with his new glasses, Simon seems to have lost his sense of fun. And all he wants to do is study. Marshall soon realizes that Nurse Nancy has been hypnotizing students, turning them into zombies to make them behave. So basically, we're looking at a Ritalin situation here. 
Yeah, something like that. And playing the role of Nurse Nancy is Lucy Lee Flippin, who I don't believe has done anything of any... Well, actually, she... Yo, we've talked about her! She was Officer Rena Starland in The Last Precinct! Yes! Oh, now I remember. Now that's it! Now she looks from... Yes! Yeah, that... You know what? That jostled my brain hole. So yeah, go back to that episode. Around this time last year, if I'm not mistaken. Episode 7. Heart on a Chain. Melanie arrives in Erie, and both Marshall and his friend Devin fall for her. But when Devin is killed in an accident and his heart is transplanted into Melanie's body, she starts to act a lot like him. Playing the role of Devin is Corey Danzinger, who was actually in The Burbs in 1989, and that was pretty much the most notable thing he's done with his career. Well, hold on. Who directed The Burbs? Who directed The Burbs? Joe Dante. I Joe- swear to God, if you say Joe Dante. Joe Dante! Playing the role of Melanie would be Danielle Harris, who you would remember from Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, and Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. And as a credited cameo as Annie Brackett in both Rob Zombie's Halloween from 2007 and Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 from 2009. I'm sorry, I only recognize Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Of course. Well, okay, I'll give you a little bit more of a mainstream reference, Greg, that you will definitely get. Yeah. She was Debbie Thornberry in the Wild Thornberries. Yeah, she was. And also played Sierra on Father of the Pride. Future installment, if there ever is one. Father of the Pride, oh my gosh. The animated lions, just saying. And And a cameo. Yeah. Yeah, and Temple is made. But also, you get a cameo from Donkey from Shrek. But okay, hold on, Chico. Hold on. Episode 8. Now, hold on, Chico. Before we talk about this episode, let me just state. We got a very big name in this episode as a guest star. And yes, I thought, we do. And I thought, oh, there's only going to be one other time we're ever going to talk about him in the history of this podcast. Well, guess what? Apparently now it's going to be two. The episode is called The Dead Letter. While looking through some old books at World of Stuff, Marshall discovers an old letter written 62 years ago, but never delivered. That's when he meets Trip McConnell, the letter's author, who is now a ghost and wants Marshall's help to finally deliver the letter to his childhood sweetheart, playing the role of Trip McConnell's ghost, Toby Maguire. Get yeah. on up! Come on and grab your fucking soul! Everybody, come on and grab your fucking soul! Now, you see, Mike won't get it, but we were doing that stupid dance he did in Spider-Man 3. Yeah. So yeah, we talked about Matt Smith's stupid dance in Morbius, and now we're talking about the other stupid dance in a Spider-Man-related movie. But of course, he would have also been in a Spider-Man movie with Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland. 
they were spider men together. And they couldn't find a way home. They couldn't find a way home. There was literally no way home. Yeah. Oh, and you know who else was trying to deny them an opportunity to get home? Who else? Woo! What the hell is that? That's eugenics. Yeah. Okay, episode nine. Who's who? Marshall and Simon meet a shy young artist, Sarah Bob, and her riotous brothers. When Marshall's stolen bicycle mysteriously reappears after Sarah Bob signs her drawing of it, she realizes that she can change reality with her pictures and sets about creating the perfect family. But she chooses Marshall's mom to replace her own absent mother, and the boys must persuade her to put things right again. And playing the role of Sarah Bob is Chanel Gray, who would have been going by Chanel Workman at this time. And she's been a voice in a whole lot of really big video games, including Mass Effect, Kingdom Hearts, and Thrillville, whatever that is. That is, I believe, a LucasArts roller coaster themed game. Ah. Okay. But it's not as big as Mass Effect or Kingdom Hearts, obviously. Obviously. Episode 10, The Lost Hour. When Marshall discovers that Eerie doesn't have daylight saving time, he's determined not to miss out on the extra hour and sets his watch back anyway. But the next day, everyone in Eerie has disappeared except for some creepy garbage collectors and a strange milkman who explains that messing with time has transported Marshall to a parallel dimension. Before Marshall can get back to his own time, he must rescue a girl who got trapped in the Lost Hour the year before. But okay, before we get into the guest stars, I want to note who wrote this episode and who was the director of this episode. Because one of the writers in this episode is Vance DeGeneres. Brilliant mind. Brilliant. Yes, Ellen's brother. And the director? Bob Balbin. Brilliant mind. Brilliant. Yes. Yes. But also, he would be best known for playing Warren Littlefield in The Late Shift on HBO. But also, he was in Seinfeld. He was the NBC executive who joined Greenpeace to get Elaine's love. Yikes. Just... Yikes. And playing the role of Janet, the girl that Marshall has to rescue before he can get back to his own dimension... Ooh! Ooh! I want to say it! I want to say it! Go. Nikki Cox. Nice. The former Mrs. J. Moore. Oh! <laughs> oh! Oh, that's right! She Jay married J. Moore after she divorced Bobcat Goldblade. Slight correction here, Nikki Cox and Bobcat Goldthwaite were never married. They were just partners. Oh, and also, do you see what her first credit was? What's her first credit? Greg, sit down. Okay. Mac and me! <laughs> I feel like going to McDonald's, but I don't know why. Oh, she's an uncredited dancer, so she's probably with uh, Jennifer Aniston in that one scene in the parking lot. Because... 
that's how you settle things in 1988 with dance battles and a McDonald's parking lot. And in case you don't know who Nikki Cox is, she played Tiffany Malloy, who was sort of like Kelly Bundy-ish, unhappily ever after. Except she was smarter. And also, don't forget the voice of the rabbit on that show, Bobcat Goldthwaite. It all ties in beautifully together. Oh my god, I forgot Kevin Connolly from Entourage was the brother in that show. I forgot that. I had forgotten that E from Entourage was on Unhappily Ever After. And on that note, let's take a short commercial break. Wednesday on NBC Premier Week, an all-new night court. Dan was down and out. Now he's back, haunting the courthouse. I am the phantom. Will he finally have his way with his captive, Christine? And what's he doing with that accordion? We can't tell you now. Watch Night Court, premiering on NBC Wednesday. Wednesday on NBC Premier Week, an all-new Quantum Leap, four years in the making. Sam finally returns home to the future and his forgotten love. I love you, Sam. This is the leap you never thought you'd see. Will he give it all up to save a friend? I can't let him die. And I can't let you go. A must-see Quantum Leap, NBC Wednesday. It's reassuring to know that MetLife has the resources to pay every single customer claim, no matter how many come in at one time. Get Met. It pays. The Dolphins. The Oilers. Moon over Miami. Sunday. selling sedan in the country the best selling import in utah and the number one car in customer satisfaction for 14 years so you'll excuse us if we toot our own horn a bit Arthritis, tendonitis, backache, tough pain that needs the dual action therapy of Icy Hot. Icy to dull the pain, hot to relax it away. Icy Hot, Icy and Hot Therapy for Pain. Slam Conquest. Slam, slam, slam. It's real light, which I like. And it's good looking, which the guys cover me like. Because they get to see a lot of it right at eye level. Get the Slam Conquest only at Foot Locker. Okay, episode 11. Marshall's Theory of Believability Professor Zircon, renowned authority on the parabelievable, announces that an extraterrestrial object he is tracking will land in Erie. Marshall and Simon are thrilled to see the professor's museum and hope that they finally found someone who might believe them. Marshall's dad, on the other hand, doesn't believe any of it, and is worried that Marshall will be disappointed when he discovers that Professor Zircon is a fraud. Playing the role of Professor Zircon, John Standing, known as Lilliman 
in V for Vendetta. Oh, V for Vendetta. Classic. He was in 12 episodes of the first Churchills from 1969. In the UK, of course. In the UK. But okay, playing the role of Claude is Michael J. Pollock. And I want to mention this because, guys, he played Benny in a 1995 episode of my favorite show, Wings. Wings. Yes! And as we all know, Wings made Tony Shalhoub's career. Indeed it did. Episode 12, Tornado Days. It's Tornado Day in Erie, but Marshall decides to stay home while the rest of the town is out to celebrate the annual return of Old Bob the Tornado. When a crazy meteorologist crash lands his tornado rider into Marshall's garden, he explains that Old Bob is a tornado with a big ego and doesn't take kindly to Marshall's boycott of the celebration. Playing the role of Old Bob is a tornado. (laughs) Actually, true story, Old Bob is credited as self. (laughs) Man, that was some great acting by that tornado. Give him the Emmy, man. Oh, he should have won all the Emmys. All the Emmys, man. Hey, how about two real names? Okay. Playing the weatherman named Wally in this episode is Kelly Connell. Two credits I want to mention. One played Carter Pike on Picket Fences. And oh my gosh, I don't want to cover this one day, but I think we have to cover it one day. He played Ulysses S. Grant on The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. Yes! The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer! Yes! I can't it's wait for when we ever come. Marginally, marginally worse than Carter Country. What are you talking about? What is it marginally worse? No, there's no marginally worse. It was worse. What are you talking about? I was about? being facetious. What are you God. guys? What are you talking about? In the universe of Quirks, the animated series, there's an entire burger chain based on Desmond Pfeiffer. I thought it's Desmond Pfeiffer because I, I that's how I think they pronounce it on the show, to be honest. Yeah. Well, for some reason on Quirks, they pronounced it Desmond Pfeiffer. I don't well, know why. I don't, whatever. I don't, you know what? Whatever. I don't know Desmond I don't Pfeiffer. Desmond Pfeiffer. Same thing. All right. Let me give you a, a little palate cleanser. Uh, a better name. Yes. Playing Howard Raymer in this episode is Matt Frewer. And where you'd know him from, he was Max Headroom. Max Headroom. Max, Max. Hey, Edison, you look kind of like me. I, 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 I wonder why that is. Mr. Wilson, why are you stealing my gimmick? Give it, give it. And also, we'll eventually talk about him because we have to cover this show at some point. Doctor, Doctor. Oh, oh yeah, that Doctor. was a really good show. Uh, he also did voice work. He was the bishop on twelve episodes of Castlevania. And he was, and I still don't know whose idea this was, he was the voice of the Pink Panther in the 1990s reboot of the Pink Panther. Hold on. They gave a voice to the Pink Panther in this remade cartoon? Yes. In 1995, they rebooted the Pink Panther as like a weekly animated series. 
and gave the Pink Panther a voice. Now, I love Matt Brewer as much as the next guy, but really? Okay, I'm not really concerned about the revival, but Pink Panther having a voice, that's wrong. That's horrible. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I love Pink Panther as much as the next guy. I love Max Brewer as much as the next guy. The two of them together? No. Okay, episode 13. The Hole in the Head Gang. Now, this is the first appearance of Jason Morrison as Dash X. But, okay, I said that when we get to this point with Mr. Radford as Archie Hahn, that there's another character playing Mr. Radford because it's revealed in this episode that the Mr. Radford from the entire series is an imposter. What? Yes! Apparently there's a real Mr. Radford and the Archie Hot Mr. Radford took his identity. So, okay, playing the real Mr. Radford, guys. John Aston. Ah, the father of Sean and Mackenzie. And the husband of Patty Duke. Well, I'd say the widower of Patty Duke, but however you want to phrase it. Yeah. Another known name on this episode, playing the role of Grungy Bill, that is his name, Claude Akins. I'm a Sheriff Lobo. <laughs> okay, but hold on. We didn't describe this episode, so let's uh, describe Let's describe it. the ep- Okay, so... Marshall and Simon investigate an old haunted mill they discover is just a hoax, set up by a mysterious boy with gray hair. That would, of course, be Dash X. But then the three of them uncover an old rusted gun and the ghost of grungy Bill, Erie's worst bank robber, who failed to rob the Erie bank 13 times. The last time, he forgot his gun. He forgot his gun! That's the most important part of a bank robbery. How can you forget your gun? No, it's not the most important part of the bank robbery. You know what the most important part of the bank robbery is? What? The wool mask you wear over their face, dude. Oh, that's right. Anyway, Bill is doomed to haunt the old mill forever unless Marshall can help him to successfully rob the bank. Kids, don't rob a bank. By the way, we learned that Mr. Radford, in air quotes... His real name is Fred Suggs. Fred kind of, Suggs. Fred Suggs. Kind of uh, reminiscent of Fred Muggs, the uh, chimpanzee meteorologist. From the Today Show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who, by the way, as of the time we're recording this in October of 2022, J. Fred Muggs is still alive. Mr. Smith, however, still very much dead. He is still very much dead. All right, episode 14, Mr. Cheney. Every 13 years, Erie holds a lottery to select the next Harvest King, who must go into the woods to face the Erie Wolf. Marshall and Simon discover that none of the previous winners have ever returned, and when the kid with the gray hair, Dash X, realizes that the lottery's rigged, he makes sure that Marshall will win. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Playing the role of Mr. Cheney, 
Stephen Root, of course, uh, News Radio and King of the Hill. And Barry. And Barry. Now, don't get Greg, Greg, correct the man. Say what you're going to say, because I think you're going to say the same thing I'm going to say. I said Barry. Well, what are you going to say, Mike? I was going to say he was Milton on Office Space. Don't oh, touch yeah. his red stick. Oh, yeah. Um, That's right. And, and of course, Dodgeball. Let's not forget Stephen Root was also in Dodgeball. He did a lot of memorable roles. He was Milton in Office Space, Jimmy James on News Radio, William Fontaine Delator Dotrieve on King of the Hill. Episode 15 No Brain, No Pain. Marshall and Simon witness a homeless man being attacked by a woman with a ray gun. A ray gun? And decide to help him out. Although the man mumbles nonsense and seems fascinated by electronics, the boy suspects that there's more to him than that, and perhaps he's not as crazy as everyone believes. But things get really weird when they turn on the strange contraption the man was making. Playing that man, Charles Burnell, Paul Sand. Just talked about him last week. Mm-hmm. Sure did. By the way, in a case of is this typecasting, he was actually in a short film called Queer Eye for the Homeless Guy, where he played Harry the Homeless Guy. And in the role of Eunice Danforth, the lady with the ray gun, Anita Morris. She was actually in an episode of Future Entry Good Grief and Future Entry WIOU. And never cover Tales from the Crypt. But she was actually in all 13 episodes of another feature entry, Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Another show about a homeless person. Episode 16. The Loyal Order of Corn. When Mr. Teller joins Erie's local lodge, the Loyal Order of Corn, Marshall and Simon decide to investigate. They discover that the Order is building what appears to be a giant TV screen, but Simon steps into it and gets transported into another planet. Meanwhile, the kid with the gray hair, now calling himself Dash X, suspects that the Lodge's bartender, Ned, may have the answers to some of his questions. Playing the role of bartender Ned, he's my favorite Martian, Ray Walston. Jeez, how many members of the cast of Picket Fences are going to be in this show? Most of them. Also, please, let's not forget, he played Mr. Hand on Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And we can't forget about my favorite Martian. I just mentioned that. Okay. Hey, did you know uh, he was on my favorite Martian, Greg? <laughs> but you know what? Hold on. Let me just check one thing in, the, in his IMDb. Yeah, check if he's on My Favorite Martian, please. <laughs> no, not that. Oh, hold on. Oh, he was gosh. in an episode of Parker Lewis Can't Lose in 1991. Is this going to be another one of those moments where you tell us how Parker Lewis can't lose? Yeah, he can't lose. Yeah. You know who directed this episode and produced Parker Lewis Can't Lose? Who? Brian Spicer. Oh, okay. You know what else he directed? What else did he direct? Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie! Yay! <laughs> 
Episode 17, Zombies in PJs. The IRS threatens to shut down the world of stuff, and in desperation, Radford signs a contract with a new partner who calls himself the Donald. Does this look like anything? As the new marketing campaign takes subliminal advertising to a new level, sleepwalking customers start buying everything in sight on credit, and even Marshall and Simon can't resist signing on the dotted line. But they should have read the small print. I love this line. This is uh, from IMDb. In a full-on satire of capitalism, the central character, played by René Aubergenois, look him up, introduces himself. Donald Churkenblagenhagenblagen is the name, but you could just call me the Donald. The same nickname being used in the popular press by this time for... Mr. Black. The send-up of capitalism, marketing, consumerism, and advertising is summarized when Marshall confronts the Donald. Nobody turns my family into zombies and gets away with it. The Donald retorts, they're not zombies, they're consumers. As Dash X chimes in, yeah, besides, how can you tell the difference? But yeah, like we mentioned, the Donald... Donald Hagenflagenflagen is played by René Abergenois, which we've mentioned numerous times on this show. Yeah, Odo. But also, he was uh, Clayton running me to Endicott the Third on Benson, long running. But also, and I think we've mentioned this in the past, he was on an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You know what? We were long overdue for an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia callback. Yeah, he was uh, D's acting coach on the episode The Gang Gets a New Member. <laughs> One of the better episodes, if you ask me. And also, it should be noted, D, not a good actor. No. No. It's established most of the series. She absolutely sucks at acting. This is a fact. Uh, Chuck Testa can de-act. Nope. Didn't think so. Okay, episode 18. This is the last aired episode on NBC. Now, there was one unaired episode, but it did air later when it was syndicated on the Disney Channel in the 90s, around uh, late 93. Yes, it's called... Reality takes a holiday. Marshall finds a script in his mailbox for a TV show called Erie, Indiana. What? It's a script for a TV show called Erie, Indiana. How is this possible, Chico? It's Erie, Indiana. Anything is possible. Anyway, as he starts reading, he realizes that it's describing him and he suddenly finds himself on a TV set where his family are just actors and everyone calls him Omri. Things get even worse when he discovers a plot by Dash X to become the new star of the show, and the script says that Marshall's about to be killed! Uh-oh! Uh-oh! <laughs> but okay, hold on. You want meta? I don't what? think we could get any more meta than we already are! Go on. Playing the director in this episode. Joe Dante is playing the director. 
And then we have the actual writer of the script, Jose Schaefer, which is a sort of a portmanteau of the two creators' names, Mark Blankfield. We talked about him in previous installments, The Nut House. That's right, The Nut House, which also had Gregory Yetzin. Yep. But okay, playing girl number two in this episode. Not girl number one, girl number two. And we've discussed her in a live show last year. Denise Richards. Because she played Edge's wife in the cinematic masterpiece, Money Plane. (laughs) Want my goddamn money, Jack? Oh my gosh. Oh dear. So that was basically episode 18. There is one more episode, The Broken Record. Now, this episode aired in syndication on the Disney Channel on December 9th, 1993. When Todd is unhappy at home, his unemployed father is always shouting at him, but when Marshall suggests some heavy metal to cheer up his friend, Todd finds he can relate to the lyrics. Perhaps a little too much, as he changes dramatically into a rebellious headbanger. Can it be just the music affecting Todd, or is there some eerie weirdness going on? Meanwhile, Marshall's parents are worried that Cindy's safety, as she rides along with a local police officer, pursuing her interest in becoming a reporter. I'm pretty sure this is how Veronica Mars started. But yep, that's the show. Yep, they literally saved the weakest episode for last. Which is probably a good thing. Oh, definitely a good thing. And this show was well-received. Entertainment Weekly gave it a B rating. As Ken Tucker said in his review of it, you basically watch this show for the small-screen spectacle of it all. And in his review for The Hollywood Reporter, Miles Beller wrote, scripted by Carl Schaefer and Jose Rivera with smart, sharp insights and silently directed by feature film hensman Joe Dante and given edgy life by the show's cast, Erie, Indiana shapes up to be one of the fall season's standouts. So this was a very well-received, very well-written, very well-produced, and very well-performed TV show. Yeah, and basically, I mentioned how Harry Gulls was playing basically a role, kind of sort of like his character on Twin Peaks. And you can tell this show is basically inspired by Twin Peaks. It was going to be a mini- Twin Peaks, as it were. Yeah, with all the weirdness and everything. Of course, the weirdness, this being a kid's show, was turned up logically to 11. So yeah, what happened with this show? Because obviously this was one and done. Yeah, I could give you two words as to what happened to this show. Let me guess. Does it involve a number? Yes. And does it involve a certain unit of time? Yes. Okay, because I remember back when I was a kid, this would air right after NFL football on NBC. But also, if NFL football was wrapping up on CBS around this same time, what would be on CBS after football? 60 Minutes. 
That'll do it. Yep. The old well, what's that old joke? How do you kill a TV show? You put it on opposite sixty minutes. And sure enough, not only did Fury Indiana last one season at the seven o'clock hour, so did the adventures of Mark and Brian, future entry there. And... Wait, what the hell is the adventures of Mark and Brian? I don't remember. It says a lot that I remember Erie, Indiana, obviously for other reasons, but I don't remember what the adventures of Mark and Brian were. Mark and Brian were like a morning DJ crew for KLOS in Los Angeles, if I'm not mistaken. And also the rest of the Sunday lineup on NBC, because without that strong lead-in, the rest of the lineup just fell apart. Of course, going up against A, the NFL, and B, the MLB postseason in 1991. Yeah, because that would have been the World Series on CBS between the Minnesota Twins and the Atlanta baseball franchise. Yeah. Of course, NBC did find something to plug the lineup and keep it from hemorrhaging viewers. It put Unsolved Mysteries on at 8. I mean, it couldn't hold a candle to America's Funniest Home Videos or Murder, She Wrote, or In Living Color, but it did decent numbers enough. Yeah, Sunday Nights at 8 in 1991, that was a pretty stacked, like, four shows on top of each other. A little something for everyone. America's Funniest Home Videos for the family, Murder, She Wrote for Nana and Pop Pop, In Loving Color for the kids, and Unsolved Mysteries for everyone else. Because we so, all know the kids love Robert Stack. The kids love Robert Stack. Help us solve a mystery. No, I'd rather go back half an hour and help two kids solve a fictional mystery. How about that? But yeah, Erie, Indiana, with uh, that time slot, just never got off the ground. But it did have a bit of a legacy, because Alex Hirsch, who created Gravity Falls for the Disney Channel, cited Erie, Indiana as one of the uh, inspirations for that show. By the way, Gravity Falls, imagine Twin Peaks or Erie, Indiana, but animated. I can definitely see that. Yeah, absolutely. If you've never seen Gravity Falls, please check it out. It's a darn yeah. good show. It's um, Jason Ritter and uh, Kristen Schull on it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really good show. And also, there were 17 books, 17 YA books, released continuing the story of Erie, Indiana. Because, okay, now, this did air in reruns, I remember, on the Disney Channel, but also, in 1997, this show would get a second life because reruns of it would air on the Fox kids block on the strength of the numbers for the original Erie, Indiana Fox kids teamed up with global to produce a spinoff or a sequel series called Erie, Indiana, the other dimension, which followed another two kids and another family in this strange indiana town but that's another story for another thing on tv as we mentioned 
There was YA books based on Erie, Indiana. There's 17 of them, I believe. Is that correct? 17 books? 17, correct. Okay. And they must have sold really well, I remember. I remember seeing these at Borders Books around 97, 98. That was like in the era where you had like Goosebumps, and that was like the biggest thing in YA at the time. Of course, this was obviously before the days, as I've mentioned many times, when you could make a series of YA books and they would make like four or five movies out of it. Yeah, this did the other way. You took a TV show and made YA books out of it. Yeah. But still, yeah, a bit of a legacy and bit of a cult following that persists to this day. You can, because a DVD was released, you could still watch Erie, Indiana, thanks to Alpha Video, who released the DVD with all of the episodes on it. Or, of course, you could watch all of the episodes for free, legally, with ads, on YouTube. Yes, but also, you could watch them on Freebie. Yep, they are on Amazon Freebie, as we speak. So, okay, any final thoughts on Erie, Indiana, Chico? That seems up your speed. I know you like Twin Peaks, and this is very much a kid's version of Twin Peaks. Yep. And nobody dies except for that one guy that one time. That one guy that one time. We don't have any, like, Laura Palmer wrapped in plastic, thankfully, on this show. But you know what? Let's review. We got, like, an Elvis impersonator for some reason living in the town. Great stuff. Old Elvis. Old Elvis. You got Gregory Itzen playing a jerk. That's great. You got John Aston. That's great. Jason Morrison. That's great. And got Henry Gibson. Henry Gibson. This entire show was great. But unfortunately, against 60 minutes, it became just another thing on TV. But thankfully, Fox Kids did give it a second life. And it still has the cult following to this day. Yes, it does. And thank goodness it does, because most kids' TV nowadays, completely unwatchable. Oh, yeah, definitely. This show made you laugh and think. And also question the nature of your reality. So, you can visit Erie, Indiana, or you can visit It Was a Thing on TV.com, where we have all of our episodes, all of our live watches, all of our mini-sodes, including the one we have coming up later this week. But in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on all of our socials at It Was a Thing on TV. Instead of Facebook, because Facebook is run by the last winner of the lottery to meet the wolf. Mark Zuckerberg, that would be It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And remember, like, subscribe to our YouTube, subscribe where all fine podcasts can be streamed. And if you are on YouTube, don't forget to hit the notification bell so you can stay up to date on all of our future entries, including what we have planned for next week. Now, next week, it's the beginning of November. We have Two apropos entries, let's just say. And one of them is 
the one you voted for. As a reminder, you can follow us on all of our socials. We have links to the polls for our Election Day Viewers Choice special. Yeah, Greg, but unfortunately, at the time we're recording this, this episode is released the day after the poll ended. So you already know who won. That is right. You voted for it. We're going to cover it. <laughs> oh, hold on before we do. Now, of course, this is after the poll has already ended. I should mention Chico. Mm-hmm. I should have said this in the last episode, but I mentioned how Dana Carvey and David Spade have a podcast in the Facebook chat on SNL. Yes. In one of the episodes, the episode with Vanessa Bear, David Spade admitted that mentions the time when he auditioned for the new monkeys. He was going there on the strength of his comic chops and his skateboarding skills. That's right, those skateboarding skills he mastered perfection in Police Academy 4. And the kicker is, he was a big fan of the monkeys and he knew exactly what he was getting into. He could not sing for crap. No. Could no, you imagine? Could, could you imagine how different history would be if David Spade was in the new monkeys? It would be crazy, let's just say. I think awkward is the word you're looking for. But hey, we'll cover that if not next week, sometime in the future, along with many more other things on TV. Thank you for listening to this episode. And we'll see you with more stuff Row! next week on It Was a Thing on TV. Sunday on Mr. President. You see him as a husband. I see him as the most powerful leader in the free world. Can the first lady trick the president into spending time with his family? How dare you go behind my back and try to manipulate me. Mr. President. I keep thinking the leader of the free world should have better legs. Sunday on Fox.